1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And we have a lot to talk about this week. This is a meaty, meaty episode. Uh, Week 12 was, I don't want to say stunning, but there was a lot of good football, uh, a lot of key games... That I think are going to play a massive role in kind of defining the rest of the season, and, and you know, kind of setting the table for what looks to be a, like a pretty entertaining playoff field. If the teams that we expect to make it actually make it, uh, just a huge, huge week of football. Obviously, starting off with the uh, the trio games that we got on Thanksgiving, which were well, it was Bears Lions. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. We're not going to go deep into that game because, quite frankly. We respect our audience too much to try. But uh, before we get into everything, uh, EJ, buddy, how you doing? And what are we drinking?
0: I'm good. I'm recovering. We had we had Thanksgiving, full-day blast of football, nice little two, three-day break, another full-day blast of football, uh, a lot of reversal games this week, uh, teams that just knocked it out of the park last week, came out this weekend, Uh damn it, the NFL's back to being what we thought it was. (laughs) That's the other side of the coin. So lots of interesting stuff. We knew there was going to be a lot of good games, and it turned out that there were a lot of good games. Again, not all the expected results, but that's what's made really the whole NFL so interesting this year is that um, every time you think you've got something figured out about a team, a division, a trend, whatever, it flops on its head the next week, and you just sort of throw your hands up and go, well, it's entertaining. Um, I got a beer from Astoria, Oregon. Uh, I've had it before. Bowie Brewing, their Dunkel Lager. Um, Good stuff for the wintertime. Nice sort of amber taste and flavor goes down pretty easily. What'd you bring?
1: Uh, You know, I I got one of the classics that I think any whiskey lover probably has somewhere in their house. That's Woodford Reserve Double Oaked. You can call me a a basic if you want to i don't care it's really damn good stuff i know that it's one of the most popular bottles out there but it's one of the most popular bottles for a reason it's really damn good stuff um before we get into three up by the way i do want to thank the folks like diego who joined our patreon this week and diego specifically joined at the ring of honor level which is at 20 bucks a month so thank you thank you so much for your support uh, remember to all of you that are already patrons, you do get discounts on bootleg football merch. So make sure to hit that link in the description if you're so inclined, if you want to get something, because you get a discount. And uh, without further ado, why don't we get into possibly the most entertaining game of the week. At least to me it was. Bucks Colts, which, you know, going into it, I, I considered it the uh, the Quentin Nelson vs. Uh, Vita Vea Bowl. Like that was like the main thing I was looking forward to. But there was so much more to it than that in terms of just like fascinating game plans and individual talent matchups and just crazy plays on both sides of the ball from both teams. Back and forth affair went down to literally the last minute. And uh, one of the things that I I think is kind of like dominated discussion about this game since it's happened, you know, the Bucks survived them was like 38, 31, something like that was the the run pass balance for Indianapolis you know we've we've looked at them as as one of the quintessential just run it down your throat and there's nothing you could do to stop it type teams this year and one of the reasons why I was looking forward to this game is because they're going up against a brick wall that is the Tampa Bay front seven that doesn't allow anybody to run on them and so the Colts threw and they threw and they threw some more and they were kind of criticized for that even though they put up 31 points on the board in terms of, you know, not using Jonathan Taylor like they had for the rest of the season. And there's a clip that I want to play from, uh, from Frank Reich in his press conference, I believe from Monday morning, talking about their game plan and how they have to kind to, uh, have to have to kind of adjust to how teams play them and their dominant run game and why, you know, they were quote unquote, pass heavy in this game with the RPO game and all that kind of stuff. And and why it was still effective even though they weren't just running the ball.
2: And then just really close out by saying just this is kind of a philosophical thing. And I realize not everybody will agree with this and not everybody will like it, but this is just kind of who we are and who we're going to continue to be. Because when you're a one-back offense and you have to find creative ways to handle all the run blitzes, because we have Jonathan Taylor and the offensive line we have, teams get very creative and run blitzes and in heavy boxes. So one of the ways to combat that is formationally to do things, another way is RPOs. And then, um, so we're gonna continue to not major in RPOs, but it's gonna be a part of what we do. I'll just give you the numbers on those in the second half. Um, We had six RPOs in the second half that were called runs to Jonathan that ends up getting thrown. And on those plays, uh, we averaged seven yards of play. We average seven yards a play. So um, one thing that I, that I think is important to note that it's interesting about RPOs, they're throws. So you don't get, so if you, but you're calling the run and if you average seven yards a play on a run, you're going to be real happy with that. And I'm really happy with the productivity of our RPO game. It's been exceptional and it was an exceptional in this game as well.
1: I don't know how you can listen to that from Frank Reich, you know, basically saying like, look, I I don't care how we got the yards. We were still getting seven yards a play. That's the point of RPOs is it puts us in the best possible position to get yards. I don't know how you can listen to him kind of like preemptively break it all down for the media that were questioning him and then come away with any thought other than, yeah, they were doing the right thing. They put up 31 points despite Carson West throwing two picks. They got all the yards they needed. They got all the points they needed. The defense just, you know, got outplayed. Um, so I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this Colts offense and at least to me showing that they can put up that many points, even without Jonathan Taylor running for 200 yards. Yeah, I
0: thought Rex comments were, um, better than what I would have said. I will say generous to folks, uh, especially the Colts faithful. They showed the shot of the guy with the run the damn ball hat in the stands and, Look, the Bucks run defense, we've talked about it all year, is one of the top five run defenses easily in the NFL. Especially when Vita is in there and playing at full strength um, with all of his teeth, uh, apparently he can play just fine without one tooth. <laughs> Rough play. Uh, but the Colts knew this, and they tried, right? In the first quarter, Jonathan Taylor ended up with, like, four yards because, just like we said, Bucks run defense is very stout. And Frank Reich, being a good coach, said, all right, well, let's see what we've got going the other way. Uh, You know, it's Bruce Arians and his team's job to make you play left-handed. They made the Colts go away from, you know, their biggest strength. And good for them. If you can stop the Colts line and Jonathan Taylor and shut them down and make them throw, that seems pretty beneficial. Once that started happening... Carson Wentz looked like the Carson Wentz of old. Yes, he ended up throwing two picks, but he was on fire for a lot of this game. He was throwing dimes. He was moving the offense in big chunks. And so Reich, as a football coach, is doing the right thing, saying, I built this offense. It's flexible. We tried. Their strength is greater than ours on on what we do well. So we're going to do another thing. They did it, and with great success. The Colts are driving on the Bucks. I don't want to say at will, but, you know, they were getting yards when they needed to, and Carson Wentz was threading the needle again, which was kind of nice to see. He hasn't been at that place uh, sort of consistently in a while, at least not in games that I've watched. And I was pretty impressed. I, I tweeted out during the game, like, this is the Carson Wentz the Colts were hoping they were getting and he's keeping them in the game against Brady and the Bucks, and they had a lead. And so for people to come back and say, well, you know, you're really competitive against the Super Bowl champs, but you didn't do it the right way, I don't think I would have reacted as benevolent benevolently as Frank Reich did. I, I thought he was very nice to kind of dumb it down and say, here's what And here's why. And here's what we did. And by the way, he did say at the end, which I probably would have said louder and first, I'm not sorry about the way I called this game. Like (laughs) I, I don't have any regrets. So, you know, I probably would have added something like stuff it. But that's why I'm not an NFL head coach. I thought it was a good job all the way around. It was a great coaching job. And I thought he explained it very well. And I just want to give a shout out to the Colts organization in general for transparency. Many organizations including the one that i root for much less transparent about many things the colts put out a great series of videos about their draft process which is incredibly open frank reich did something nfl head coaches don't normally do at least not in that level of detail and walked everybody through the sort of why and and what my choices were and and he did it in a very nice way and i really appreciate that as a as a media member, as a fan, as a whatever, because it helps me understand, right? It's not just like, we know what we're doing, you don't, be quiet, which is what you get from a lot of NFL teams. And hey, that's their prerogative, but I really appreciate the Colts' approach, and this was in
1: line with it. Uh, Another major note I want to bring up from this game is uh, Leonard Fournette, four touchdowns, and he's had this uh, kind of interesting Benjamin Button Type career for running back where starts off super well in 2017. They go to the AFC Championship game. He's kind of like the engine for the Jags' offense. Then just things go awry, <laughs> as things often do in Jacksonville. And you know they release him, and then he becomes one of these you know cheap free agent running back pickups. Goes on to again play a key role in the Bucks' offense. They win a Super Bowl you know, with the quarterback that beat him in that AFC championship game, they kind of team up and get a ring together. And and now this year he's, you know, a complete receiver and he's looked more, I guess, shifty is the right word than I think he ever has in terms of being able to like stop, start and, and get going again. Like I don't remember young Lenny having that kind of lateral agility like he was showing off in this game. Like Some of his carries, I was like, whoa, he didn't used to be able to do that. Uh, must be doing some of that yoga with Tom. And uh, I, I just want to give a shout-out to Leonard Fournette for, I guess, reinventing himself and then improving himself year after year and not letting his career go the way of so many other quote-unquote first-round busts that don't make it to an entire rookie contract with their original team. You know, he kind of he took what happened in Jacksonville and said – no, I'm I'm Leonard Fournette. I'm super talented. I'm still gonna have a successful career. I'm still gonna go be a Super Bowl champion, and you know go go be the RB one on a, on a team that could potentially be a dynasty.
0: Yeah, I put out a tweet on uh, Sunday watching this game again, and said, you know, Fournette's growth as a receiver just this year is really exceptional like you said it doesn't tend to happen and it doesn't tend to happen later on in careers for running backs that don't start out as big receiving threats so going into sunday's game leonard fournette already had 40 plus receptions on the year which is more than any other year in his career Except for I think it was twenty nineteen, he had uh, it was either twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. He ended up with like seventy eight. He ended up with a bunch, but every other year his total has been largely in the thirties. There's one year in the twenties, a couple of years in the thirties. He already had forty coming into Sunday's Sunday's game. That's a major change in sort of skill set at a later stage in running back's career because they're usually fairly short and he has been a viable weapon in the passing game for the bucks this year and i think when the bucks were in the middle of the whole hey we're just going to run it all back and they were re-signing literally everybody there was a lot of people that kind of quietly went okay look playoff lenny is great and we understand that and you're super loyal to your players but don't you want a little bit more flexibility out of your running back position in in a modern NFL passing game? And, you know, Bruce Arians uh, said, "Ah, we got it. Like, you know, and if he told us, oh, Leonard Fournette's going to be a much better pass catcher this year, and he's going to catch like, oh, you know, 40 plus balls by the break, we would have been like, uh, (laughs) okay, (laughs) I guess I believe you. But he absolutely has, and like you said, he's looked better doing it, right? He looks more fluid on those routes. He catches the ball better this year. And it's kind of like Tom Brady becoming a better scrambler at this stage of his career. Not something that typically happens or improves to that amount at this time, but Fournette deserves a lot of credit for saying, I'm going to find the role this offense needs me to play, and I'm going to get better where my gaps are. Still a good power runner, still runs inside the tackles really well. Obviously, like you said, very athletically talented, but has become this real force catching passes for the Bucs, and that's a a thing that's helping drive their success. It keeps drives going.
1: And another angle to this offense that I also find fascinating is that somehow Rob Gronkowski is back to being an elite tight end. I, I every know, time
0: on no every <laughs> time on Sunday he has these moments. He's he's at that again, a point of his career. He's got a lot of tread off his tires, but every time they needed it on Sunday, and I looked up. It was Brady to Gronk. And I was like, wow, doesn't this feel like old home week? You know, doesn't this look familiar? We've seen it so many times, but he can still pull that out. And that's amazing, considering he basically retired due to injury. People kind of skip that part. He basically was gone. He was an analyst for a year. He basically was like, I'm all beat up. I can't get right. I've made my money. Tom's moving on. I'm done. He's on the couch. And then he comes back. And he's not only good, took him a while to warm up. I'll give him that. But he's right back to being Rob Gronkowski, being that clutch guy. And honest to God, being one of the best blocking tight ends in history. And I know that's a huge statement, but I will go to my grave saying that Gronkowski could have put on like 40 pounds and been a Pro Bowl tackle in the NFL. He is that. Oh, absolutely. Kind of that kind of blocker and people don't appreciate that because he's this huge target running seam routes, running people over, you know, making post up grabs in the end zone, doing all the Gronkowski things. But then you see him on run block and he just buries defensive ends, like just buries them. And he's still doing that. And man, that game on Sunday, like all oh, that was on display. And
1: every time it was a clutch play, you're like, up, oh, yep. Tom DeGronk. Gronk people always, you know, use the, The Darren Waller comparison of like, well, Darren Waller and and Gronk, they're two totally different tight ends. And, you know, Waller's the better receiver and Gronk's the better blocker. Well, Gronk has more yards per catch. Their yards per game are damn near identical. It's 63 to 64. and Gronk has twice as many touchdowns this year. And they've both been injured quite a bit. But, you know, he's he's fourth in the NFL among tight ends in yards per game playing mostly hurt. (laughs) <laughs> since he's come back. Like, I, I, I know he says always oh, ribs are okay now. Like, I'm sorry, you don't break ribs and then be okay. Like a month later, that just doesn't happen. He's, he's still hurting, especially with some of the shots he was taking in this game. I was like, oh God, that's mm, that's that's extra hours in the cold tub for that one. But, you know, at his age, he's still indisputably, like not even a question, a top five tight end in the league and it starts at five. You could probably say top three, considering what he also does in the run game. And I'll be completely honest here. If you, you like, gun to your head right now, who's better for an offense to have? Darren Waller or Rob Gronkowski? Just for this year, considering what he does in the run game, I would say Gronk. It's like, who do you want more? Andrews or Gronk? Gronk. Who do you want more? Kelsey or Gronk? That one's close. And Kittle and Gronk, considering what Kittle can do in the run game, is close. But the fact that, you know, we're putting him up with literally the best tight ends in the game. And it's a discussion about which one you want most between old ass Rob Gronkowski and all these other dudes. <laughs> that is a testament to how amazing he is. Inarguably the greatest tight end I think I've ever seen and maybe ever will see. And I'm telling you what, uh, if he stays healthy the rest of the year, I, I think he's going to be a big reason why I think Tampa goes back to the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, he's it's funny when you say somebody's a a glue guy, right? It's it's somebody that does the less flashy things, but he does the flashy things, too. Oh, yeah, he He absolutely does does the flashy things and the big gains and the clutch first downs. But he also, you know, seals the edge for those Leonard Fournette runs we're talking about and as well as anybody. And the fact that, yeah, we're talking about that, you know, last season, like waller without a question this season mm, i i think i'd lean gronk and the fact that he's even in that conversation after having basically retired and been on the couch is yeah he's just one of those guys you're not going to see a lot of players like him really at any position in the nfl in terms of longevity success well-roundedness or versatility whatever you want to call it he can do all of the things at a high level there are so many especially tight ends where very few of them do all of the things at a high level and some of them do some of the things at a very high level and that's what we focus on and we go well yeah but just don't watch him block like it's it's cool but like yeah it was a great touchdown but just don't yeah, watch looking block
1: at you jimmy graham or vice versa
0: <laughs> right where it's like that guy is basically their sixth offensive lineman he's you know key to their running game but oh yeah oh yeah three balls bounced off his hands in the last you know five games and they were the only three they threw, only three they threw to him because yeah that's why like there's so many tight ends like that and Gronkowski just does all of the things so well and continues to do them so well at this stage of his career and in injury history and whatever else just appreciate it i don't care whether you like Gronk hate Gronk don't like the commercials just As a football fan, look at Rob Gronkowski and go, yeah, there's not many that come out of that mold ever at any position.
1: This week's show is brought to you by Purple, the most innovative sleep solution on the market. Purple is the only mattress company that uses their incredible grid design, which is a unique ventilated design that allows air to flow through in order to help you sleep cool, but it's also amazingly supportive for your neck and your spine and your hips and your shoulders so that really no matter what position you like to sleep in, whether you're a back sleeper or a side sleeper, I happen to be both and I kind of rotate throughout the night, their purple grid will be able to cushion you no matter what so that you can just sleep soundly. Unlike memory foam, which remembers everything, the grid bounces back as you move and shift, so you never get that feeling like you're sleeping in quicksand. You're just comfortable the entire time, and you don't kind of wake yourself up by struggling to get from position to position. If you're interested in anything in the Purple catalog this holiday season, either for yourself, or if you want to give the gift of a better sleep to somebody you love, you can get 10% off of any order of $200 or more at purple.com bootleg10 using promo code bootleg10. And again, that will give you 10% off of any order of $200 or more. You just have to go to purple.com slash bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10. Thank you again to Purple for sponsoring, and let's get back to the show. Let's get into uh, three-up number two here, which is somehow, someway, the 49ers clawing their way back into the NFC playoff picture over the last few weeks and looking... I'm not even going to say, like, mildly different <laughs> than a month ago. They look completely different than a month ago. I mean, this was a team that not too long ago couldn't beat a completely banged-up Cardinals team with a backup quarterback and no DeAndre Hopkins and no J.J. Watt. And now they are, like, not just in the driver's seat for a wildcard spot, but I think that they could very easily beat like a five or a six and not just, you know, scraping for a seven. Like this is a legitimately fun team to watch all of a sudden. And it's not like a whole lot has changed. It's not like there's been some, you know, quarterback change or like a a key guy coming back or anything like that. It's more so just the execution part of what they've been trying to do all year, all of a sudden is working. Eli Mitchell had, again, a very nice day. 27 carries for a buck 33 and a touchdown. And he's been, I think, I don't want to say one of the surprises of the year because, I mean, how many times have we seen Kyle Shanahan take a six-round running back and make him one of the most productive backs in the league? So it's not like it's that surprising. I I did think that their rookie that was going to dominate was going to be Trey Sermon, but it ended up being Eli Mitchell. So, uh, you know, right neighborhood, wrong house. What's interesting about this run game, though, And I think it's been a big part of San Francisco's resurgence back to relevancy. When you look at their rushing splits overall, and you look at, you know, gap to gap, their yards per carry, their first down efficiency, their touchdowns, when they run behind Trent Williams and Laken Tomlinson, stuff gets destroyed. Trent Williams is having... I mean, maybe the best season for a left tackle, I'm not even kidding, that I've ever seen, especially as a run blocker. Laken Tomlinson is crushing people, absolutely crushing people. And when Eli Mitchell, who runs 4-3, he's more of kind of an outside runner, you know, early in the year, I was like, yeah, you get him on crack toss, you get him on counter, you get him to the edge, he's going to do well, run inside the tackles, maybe not so much. When he's running behind Laken and Tomlinson and Trent Williams on double teams, Yeah, he can run inside because there is literal canyons there every single time. Like that left side of the offensive line, I'm not even kidding, has been the biggest factor in this team kind of digging themselves out of this hole. And as long as that keeps working and as long as Jimmy G stops throwing the really stupid interceptions like he did in this game where they got him every single week, somebody throws a pick on one cross. I swear to God, this time it was Jimmy G and Harrison Smith got him. The same coverage gets an interception every single week. I swear as long as he stops doing that. And they just keep running with Eli Mitchell behind Trent Williams and Lincoln Tomlinson, this team can win. And it's the weirdest thing ever that they didn't figure that out until like week 10.
0: It feels late to me because I think you summed it up perfectly. It's the same way that I was thinking about this is okay. So what's, what's different right did they get somebody back did they have a change in velocity they they chuck all the bad plays and the answer is no no they didn't and it goes back to what we hear coaches say that's super boring in all those you know after game press conferences look we called a good game it's really about execution it's really about getting back to basics nobody wants to hear that feels like coach speak but in this particular case with the 49ers it really does feel like Somebody just kind of stood in the locker room, whether it was a player or coach, and went, "Guys, we suck. (laughs) Right? We suck. Don't don't think we're good. We're not close. We got to dig back in. We're not going to do anything different. We we got plenty of good players. We got Kittle over there. We got you you talked about Trent Williams. Like we got plenty of players to get this done. We've been banged up in the running back department for sure." We're not, we have some odd personnel management issues with the, with the wide receivers, but like we got the guys in the room, we can do it. We just need to refocus. And they sort of did and have, I don't know what that moment was. I don't know that we'll ever know. That's not the kind of thing you learn about teams, but it feels like they just kind of went, Hey, (laughs) do your job. You know, I, I heard all different metaphors for that this week, which was funny. One was keep your side of the street clean the other one was cut your own grass like it's all the like do your job and we'll be fine and they got back to doing their job as a group because in the first i was going to say half but it's more in the first large part of this season it was always something they, you know they're always falling apart at different places the one guy that wasn't it was Trent Williams and and through the first like 6 or 8 weeks every week if you went back and watched the tape Trent Williams did something amazing like <laughs> amazing like n- right now that guy is jordan Milata for the eagles and we'll talk about him in a bit but williams was that guy for the first and i think people just got bored it's not that he stopped doing those things people just got bored of going oh my god Tri- just did another thing like that you shouldn't be able to do at his size." he's just such an amazing athlete like he's got great power but his fluidity as an athlete at his size is it's rare oh my god and you know then you add a guy like Lakin Tomlinson who is just a dozer next to him and yeah Eli Mitchell's got the choice of like well I could, uh, I'll just go forward there's nobody there they're all gone so I'll just <laughs> I'll just go get my yards uh, but it does feel odd that there hasn't been a huge shift we talked about the the Eagles sort of returning to like oh well you know, the past thing's not working. We're going to go with power run game. It's not like the, the balance has shifted. It really does feel like a team that said, hey, we're calling the right things. Just go out and execute, which is the oldest sort of football cliche in the book. But for San Francisco, it's working. And they look a lot more like the team we thought they would at the beginning of the year now.
1: You kind of alluded to some of the the personnel management issues. That we believe they've had, which was, you know, whatever the hell was going on with Brandon Ayuk in the first half of the season. You know, there there were reports that he was in the doghouse, and then the team said no, he was just coming back from injury, and then there were quotes that came out from the coaches saying that he needs to get better. And you know, I'm sitting there like, what do you mean? Because he's getting open on tape, but you're just not throwing it to him. So define get better, and I think what they really meant was they wanted him to run block more, which he's been doing lately, and I guess that's elicited some favor within the coaching staff because he's had two straight games of 85 yards because they're actually throwing him the ball down the field all of a sudden. I don't know if it's rewarding him for pancaking dudes, but if that's what he's got to do to keep getting balls thrown his way even though he's really talented, fine, go go keep pancaking people. So that was like the one thing that I – really disagreed most with this 49ers organization is how they were handling Brandon Ayuk because he's incredibly talented. And I understand that Debo Samuel's also a really great player and they were feeding him target after target after target. But it kind of felt like, you know, they, they had a, they had a Ferrari and they had a Lambo in the garage and they were only ever driving the Ferrari and they never took out the Lambo for a spin. And I'm like, well, you got both. Maybe, maybe kind of even up the miles a little bit here. But uh, over the last few weeks, he's he's been spectacular and he's looked as explosive and as as dangerous as we expected him to be going into this year. And unfortunately, with Debo getting hurt and he'll be out for a couple weeks, maybe uh, they'll just keep driving the Lambo for a while. And I would really like that because I have him uh, on my fantasy team and I could really, really use it right about now.
0: I had no idea he was on your fantasy team. He's on all of my (laughs) fantasy teams thank you I uh yeah and we were confused because we really liked uh brandon coming out he had some skills that we thought were elite his run after the catch uh tenacity i'll call it he is one of those guys that is just to to quote walter payton never gonna die easy right he's always gonna go for every yard and i think that you know channels fairly well into him being a blocker he is a guy that can put forth a high level of effort and blocking and i think that's sort of an underrated thing about being a wide receiver too in a in a you know run blocking offense where that's expected of you is hey you know that guy that's just absolutely hammering you at the top of the stem of your route every time you run a pass you want to go beat the hell out of him (laughs) go for it like go beat the hell out of him and You know, I think that's sort of enjoyable. Uh, It doesn't seem like a lot of receivers think that, but uh, Ayuk is a physical guy, especially with the ball in his hands. It's just learning to be a more physical guy without the ball in his hands, and certainly it seems like he's done that. And look, if that 49ers run game unit gets a solid block on the
1: edge from the wideout,
0: (laughs) they've got... We saw
1: a couple in this game where it sprung Mitchell and... They've got everything else,
0: right? They've got Kittle <laughs> and use and Williams and Thomas, they've got everything else. If you get a block on the edge, that's the cherry on top of the Sunday. And you could see some crazy big gains. And I think that might be part of what the coaches are telling him is like, you know, this is the difference between us getting eight or 11 yards and maybe getting 25 or 30. Cause that was the last guy and he was yours. So if you bury him, it's the safety coming from across the field. That's got to get him and he's not going to get him for another 10 or 15 yards. We're going to get chunk plays in the run game if you seal your block on the edge. And I think Ayuk has kind of taken that to heart and gone. All right, I can, I can bury some dudes.
1: While we're on the subject of this game, we have to talk about Kirk. I know in the last show, in the last show, we let off with the Vikings. We didn't talk about the Vikings for like a month and a half. And I considered that a good thing for them. Vikings fans were clamoring that we weren't talking about that. I'm like, you, you don't want this. Trust me. You don't want us to mention you because that's when you're going to fail. And then they failed. And we have to talk about Kirk because you literally brought it up. It's like, I don't care how many games in a row. He has fancy stats. There's going to be a game where it just falls apart for no reason. And it's going to be one of those Kirk games. This was one of those Kirk games where he throws a completely inexcusable pick on a stick concept where he was literally staring at the defense, saw the guy was there, threw it anyway, got picked. We have to talk about the the lining up under the guard fiasco, which is the most on-brand thing I've ever seen from Kirk Cousins, where he's running around trying to get people lined up, and then he lines up wrongly himself, lines up under a guard instead of the center, realizes it way too late, has to call timeout on fourth and goal, and then on the next attempt at fourth and goal, he misses Justin Jefferson, turn it over on downs. There was another time on a two point conversion, he missed Justin Jefferson twice in the end zone. And I mean, literally just threw it at his feet for a gimme. And you could literally see Jefferson just throw up his arms and say, I'm fucking over this dude. Like, it's every year there's a game like this, whether he like kneels on accident instead of spiking it. And causes his own team to lose, or lines up under a guard for no reason, and has to burn a timeout, or you know misses these gimme throws. Like I, I don't care what his stats are. I don't care that he he's only throwing like two picks and twenty touchdowns or whatever. He has these kinds of games all the time, like at least once or twice a year. And I have to think the rest of the organization and the rest of that locker room is just sitting there seething after that game, saying what do we have to do to consistently win with this guy? Because inevitably, he's going to do this to us.
0: Yeah, I get the feeling that the Vikings are very risk-averse when it comes to the quarterback position because famously signed Kirk to a very large contract at the time. It's not so big anymore, but that's the nature of NFL contracts. And he has largely been the same guy throughout it he is not he's not had wild arcs of like oh there was that one year and he was just flat terrible the whole year and comes out that he was nursing a shoulder injury or whatever like he's had he, he is who he is this is the old denny green thing they are who they thought we were right it's kirk is going to come out and light it up he has the talent he's gonna have you like that games right he's gonna have games where it's 350 yards and a bunch bunch of touchdowns pinpoint accuracy to their very talented wide receiving core and then there are going to be i would say you said one or two i'd say two at a minimum it seems like every year there are two games you can point to where you just vikings fans just kind of cover their eyes after the first corner and they're like oh here it comes because they know what's coming because they've seen it year after year and i was that guy not being a vikings fan but i was in the bar and i was watching the game and i was like oh oh okay maybe that's just one right and then i look up in the next quarter and you're like oh oh (laughs) this is that game this is the wheels come off for kirk cousins because it's not like one bad series or one bad quarter and then the other three quarters are amazing It is a game where he just makes mistake after mistake. And there are ones, like you said, like the stick concept one. He's literally staring at the guy in front. He's not breaking. He's there. And he just throws it right to him. And you're like, oh, oh, okay, it's that it's one of those Kirk Cousins games. And but it feels like the Minnesota brass is kind of like, yeah, but did you see what happened to that team over there that was playing that? basically backup replacement level quarterback like they didn't get any of the good games and so if we (laughs) let go of this what are we really going to get it's not the idea of hey how can we push this farther which strangely enough is supposedly why the team that was across from them this week you know pushed up in the draft gave up a bunch of capital and and went for a, an eventual starter that has more capacity than the one they have now it's a very similar feeling situation but minnesota's like i uh-uh, uh-uh, i don't want to roll the dice like I'll, I'll i'll take the guy that does the thing you know eight or ten times a year and then does the bad thing like twice and then the rest of the games were just kind of gonna kind of gonna toss up there
1: well, let me ask you. I'll go off script for a second here. Let me ask you. So they're sitting there at 13 in the draft. Justin Fields doesn't go at 11. Do they take Justin Fields? I don't think they would have. And it for, for maybe some different
0: reasons, but partially that reason, right? Again, it's that feeling of you know do we invest all this and then that means we have to get rid of kirk which look there would be a market for cousins like he is a good enough quarterback with solid enough performances there is always a quarterback hunger in the nfl and if kirk cousins came free or they made it known that he was available for trade by taking a first round quarterback like there would be a market for kirk cousins
1: kirk cousins would have carolina sent two seconds for sam darnold you don't think they could get some exactly kirk, kirk cousins.
0: It, it's not that kirk can't play or won't play there's always somebody that needs more than they have it's about the vikings really wanting to to push the needle and say you know being second in the division is not good enough we're not just gonna hang on for a wild card every year you know we've got some challenges in the division i i know they're like everybody else in the division hoping that Aaron Rodgers becomes a Bronco or goes off to host Jeopardy or do whatever. Um, But that's, that's not really a strategy, right? Because Justin Fields is going to be getting better. The Lions are going to draft somebody highly drafted quarterback, right? You're going to start to see more challenges. The, the divisional, power base is going to shift and if you're just like nope we're just riding with cousins second's going to become third and then you're not so sure you're going to get a wild card especially in the nfc we're going to talk about that in a bit but it just seems like there's this risk aversion to like kirk is a nice safe quarterback for like three quarters of the time and that's good enough for us
1: i mean again if you're trying to get a five to a seven seed you'll get it but You're once you're in the five to the seven seed, you got to go against the Aaron Rodgerses. You got to go against the Tom Brady's and I don't know. I just if your goal is to make the playoffs. Yeah, you can do that. Minnesota is a good enough team to do that consistently. If your goal is to do something beyond just making the playoffs. I don't know. I kind of feel like they got to go in a different direction, but I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks that I'm sure there's a lot of Vikings fans that would agree with that. This week's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. If you've been following me at all for the past couple years, I've been working with HelloFresh forever because honestly, it's a service that sells itself. It's 30% cheaper on average than going to get the same ingredients at the grocery store. Everything is always delivered on time with perfect proportions so that you're not actually wasting any food and you're not over buying stuff. There's dozens upon dozens of different options, and of course you can put on your own dietary restrictions or preferences so you get the exact type of food that you want to cook. And everything is pretty easy to cook as well, you just have to follow their very simple step-by-step instructions that they send with every single meal. This time of year though, the best part about it is that I don't have a whole lot of time to spare. The regular season is starting to get into the home stretch, so I have a lot of work to do on that front. I have family constantly coming into town for different holidays and birthdays, and it's just a mess. I don't have a whole lot of time. I can't plan out meals. I can't go grocery shopping or do meal prep. So HelloFresh has actually been kind of a godsend for me because I still get to do home-cooked meals, but I don't have to spend a whole lot of time planning them out. There's a lot of different reasons to use HelloFresh. And if you want to try it for yourself, you can go to hellofresh.com bootleg14, promo code bootleg14, and that will get you 14 free meals plus three free gifts and free shipping. Again, that is hellofresh.com slash bootleg14, promo code bootleg14, and that gets you 14 free meals plus three free gifts and free shipping. Thank you again to HelloFresh for sponsoring, and let's get back to the show. Three up number three here. Speaking of, of teams that managed to hit on a high upside quarterback and are now reaping the benefits of that and ascending beyond what they have been historically, uh, the Bengals reasserting their dominance, putting their name back in the hat for uh, for the AFC North, trying to make a late-season run here, which they are perfectly capable of doing. You know, they they, they beat Pittsburgh, it was like 41-15, if I recall correctly, the score just absolutely dominated them in virtually every sense of the word. And they've done that a couple times this year against their own division rivals where they just overwhelm them with offensive firepower. And they have just enough pieces on defense where if they put the opposing offense on their heels and they have to keep up with Burrow and Chase and Higgins and this offensive line, which can apparently just absolutely maul people in the run game. And Joe Mixon's a uber talented running back. Trying to keep up with all those guys puts the offense in just enough of a precarious position where this Bengals pass rush, which is way better than I think anybody anticipated, can just pin their ears back and go hunt. And the secondary I think is very opportunistic. Again, the defense is playing above what i expected them from them this year i know they had a bunch of young talent we were excited about did not think they were going to be like this right now so that's a credit to them it's a credit to their coaching staff but right now they're like the quintessential team where it's like man if they get like three scoring possessions in a row they're really hard to beat because they are they're very much this uh I call it like a win harder team. Like the more they win, the harder they win. Like they just get these these uh, you know momentum buildups in their favor. Where you look up at the third quarter and they've just completely overwhelmed the opposing team to the point where they have zero chance of coming back. That's exactly what happened this week. They've done it to the Ravens. They've done it to multiple teams this year. This is one of the teams that if I was in the AFC, I'd be most scared of playing in January. Because they remind me, again, I'm not saying they are, but they remind me of like the 2018 to 2020 Chiefs where like that 21 point quarter can happen at any moment. And that terrifies me.
0: Yeah, if they keep Burrow upright and healthy, the addition of Chase and the resurgence of Mixon, I don't think we talk about Mixon enough. Mixon's having a really good year. We're going to mention him in a little bit. We've got a fun piece coming up on running backs, but... This is that team, and I tweeted it out during the game. It felt like a changing of the guard moment for in the AFC North. And people can say, oh, it's only one game. And I can agree with you a little bit, but it wasn't even as close as the final score. The final score was terribly lopsided. But if you looked up, this looked like a picture of Joe Burrow with his foot on the neck of the Steelers pressing down like they beat them up. They ran over them. They did things with utter disregard (laughs) for what the Steelers (laughs) were trying to do. We're going to talk about that a little bit. There were some throws that Joe Burrow made where, look, his player didn't have leverage. He just threw it anyways, and confidently. He was like, doesn't matter. We're We're better than you. We're going to get it. Yep. It's just that it's that schoolyard pick them kind of thing where you just know your guys better. And it's like, I don't really care. Like, here you go. He's going to get it. And it was this brash confidence, and Burrow was noted when he was coming out in the draft as having that, as being a very confident, very cool customer. He looked every bit of it on Sunday. But this felt like more than, oh, hey, the Bengals got one over on the Steelers. This felt like the Bengals right now are a mashing machine because Burrow is upright and all the offensive pieces are working and the defense is playing at a higher level than we thought it might And the wheels are falling off on the Steelers' side. Ben looks completely cooked. There is no coming back from where he is. He's not going to be like Gronk and take a year on the couch and then come back and feel better. Uh, You know, he's done. And the Steelers... Didn't really do anything to replace him. So, in terms of that divisional power balance, like the Bengals are surging. They've built a the team. They could use a couple of extra pieces, but they're already good enough now. And the Steelers, on the other hand, are really lacking at the most important position. And they've got holes elsewhere, too, that if you're talking to folks that follow the Steelers really closely, um, sort of we'll talk about with you and say, I'm really worried about X and X and X. And the list is pretty long for a Steelers team. So this isn't a one game phenomenon. Like these teams could play each other three more times this year and the Bengals would probably win all three times. If they didn't, I think it would be a pretty large upset because these are just two franchises that are really familiar with each other that are in a completely different place, both of them. Pittsburgh is sinking and the Bengals are rising fast and it showed up on Sunday. It was just one of those like wildly disparate games where you're like, "Oh no, they don't belong on the field with them right now." That's this is bad.
1: This was this was one of those games where weirdly enough, the entire time I was watching it, I was like, "How the fuck did Pittsburgh beat Buffalo?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the entire yeah, time yeah. I was like how is that possible? Like how is Joe Burrow and Jabbar Chase and T Higgins blowing these dudes off the field and you know, that offensive line completely manhandling the Steelers defensive line. Like I mean, it was not a fair fight. It's like how are they doing that to Pittsburgh and Buffalo couldn't. It's the weirdest thing. Like I know the teams are are not exactly built the same like the 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 Bengals Uh, offensive line way better at run blocking way stronger at the point of attack I get that but just from a passing game perspective like it's it's wild to me where Pittsburgh has gone from week one to now like they do not look the same at all whereas at least the Bengals you know they started out in the first half of the year like they were the top seed in the AFC in week eight I think it was like they've been good The whole time. They've blown out Pittsburgh twice. They've beat the Ravens by 30. Like, they've been good the entire time. They've had a couple random slip-ups here and there, like the Mike White game, which you could argue was kind of a weird call in the end that maybe cost them a chance to win that one. Like, they've had a couple young team slip-ups. But overall, like, from start to finish, this Bengals team has been really, really good. We're in Week 12 now, and they're still really, really good. So if if I had to bet on like, again, one of these teams that's kind of creeping anywhere between like three and seven seed, where you don't exactly know where they're going to end up, excuse me, but you know, they're going to be in the playoffs. Like the Bengals are that team that I just absolutely do not want to play because they are faster, they are stronger, and they're just cockier than you. Like they know they're better than you and they're, they're going to let you know it.
0: Yeah, if Burrow starts feeling it, and he was feeling it on Sunday, you could see it. And he's had some of those games, even in down games, like last year, even before he got hurt. There were a couple games where it's like, is he feeling it? Because it doesn't look like the rest of his team's feeling it, but he's back there like, I got it. We got this guy. Like, I'm going to beat these guys all by myself. And it felt a little bit more all by myself behind that line last year. Uh, You know, they add a piece, major piece on the line. They add another top flight receiving threat and mixon is still excellent uzama's having a better season as well uh you know higgins still good uh and joe's starting to feel it and if that doesn't terrify anybody just go back and watch his senior season at lsu like when he's (laughs) fama (laughs) when he's feeling it he can knock anybody off and i mean anybody in the world i don't mean any anybody in college football like he has a fully capable pro offense around him the the line has its limitations on pass blocking but top flight running back two top flight wide receivers a easily good enough mid-tier tight end yeah you could you could throw uh
1: boyd Boyd. Good old Tyler. Yeah, I know. Everybody forgets about Tyler Boyd. No, he's I, always I was just like there. the pit
0: guy, the pit guy. <laughs> it's the, the the heroes of being a draft analyst. You're like, I know the school. I can't hit the name right now. No, he's got a pro level offense around him right now. And if he is feeling it the way he was feeling it on Sunday, you do not want to play them because they are at least going to take you to the wire, if not just absolutely clean your house. So it's a scary proposition for other teams going down the wire. It's not the draw I would want. If I did get it, I would want bad weather. (laughs) I would want a strong wind blowing and maybe some sleet so the ball's a little slick. I would not want Joe Burrow standing back there confidently dealing bombs to any of those guys. That is not a scenario I want to see as an opposing defensive coordinator.
1: Uh, three down. This one's—it's uh, it, kind of half three down and half three interesting, because <laughs> it, it counts as a down, but it's also just straight up fascinating to me. And it's—it's uh, it, it's kind of like a, a an analytics uh, trend, I guess you can say, that's popped up really the entire Sean McVay era in LA. This is his fifth season there, which is that the week. One through eight Rams under Sean McVay, historically. And the week nine through end of the season Rams under Sean McVay, historically. Two very different teams. I'm going to read off some stats here that have been culminated by various people on Twitter. And they're, again, super fascinating to me. And it kind of illustrates what I'm talking about here. So in the McVay era... On average, their EPA per play, meaning expected points added per play, it's kind of an overall measure of how efficient an offense is. From weeks one through eight, they are second in EPA. And then from weeks nine onward, they're 19th. Massive slide in the second half of seasons, historically. Their pass EPA, their dropback pass EPA, goes from second to 21st. Their rushing success goes from first, historically, to 12th. This year specifically, it's just as weird. In weeks one through seven this year, kind of before the bye week, they were second in EPA per play. Again, first in drop back pass EPA, 20th in rushing success rate. That's the major difference. They went normally their first. This year they were 20th. But from week eight onwards, which is kind of where their slide started, they've been 25th in EPA per play, 25th in drop back pass EPA, and weirdly, their rushing success rate has gone up to 13th, but they also don't run the ball that much anyway. They're, they're 22nd in terms of rushing attempts per game on the year and 31st in the last three weeks. And so what that really tells me is that teams figured out, oh, they don't want to run the ball, unlike past Rams teams. They're not going to adjust to run the ball because historically they don't adjust, period, throughout the season. They kind of do what they're going to do, and then they get figured out, and then they fall off a cliff. That happens every single year. So we're just going to play the pass. We're going to play the pass with Matt Stafford. You're not going to run it, and even when you do run it, you're not going to be very good at it. And then they just completely fall apart because they, they're not adjusting. There was an interesting tweet from a, a former Eagles linebacker coach. This is Ryan paganetti on twitter again he coached with the eagles for four years i think from 2017 to 2020 if i remember correctly and he literally said this is a quote from him they don't run many plays on offense and don't seem to self-scout tendencies as the season goes on we beat them twice later in season when we had a really good idea of exactly what they were going to do that's pretty telling when even a coach from an opposing team says, yeah, they don't self-scout. They don't change. We beat them because we got them later in the year because we knew what they were going to do. That's the yeah. opposite of a successful franchise.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's Tale of Two Cities, right? It is very distinctly in first half and second half. And usually the line isn't quite that delineated, right? It's not that sharp. And when I wrote this up, we I wrote it up kind of as a joke because we've been talking about the Raiders for like, three weeks and we've been saying oh man don't start that slide don't start that slide and we're giving the raiders all this crap for doing the exact same thing for coming out gangbusters in the first half of the season and then hitting an eventual slide towards the back half and the raiders righted the ship in a very entertaining game against the cowboys they stemmed off that loss and hopefully kind of plateaued but while they were doing all that, and while we were saying all that over the last three weeks, like the Rams have started this slide and then you dug into it and went, oh, it isn't just this year like this is a this is a very distinct trend that starts right in the middle of the season. And here are all the numbers to back it up. So it started not really as a joke, but just as say, hey, maybe we thought it was these guys, but it's actually these guys. And it's really distinct and you've seen it run the Rams out of the playoffs. Right, you've seen it sink the Rams' season, especially in the second half. The wins are tough to come by, other teams have figured them out, and this is why, again, one of those hills I'll die on is if the double doink doesn't happen, Chicago probably goes to the Super Bowl because Fangio had McVeigh's number and they would have run the Rams off the field. I fully believe that it has nothing to do with being a Chicago fan. It's it's not an uncommon belief. As you talk to people, this just illustrates the why of that, like why that's an easy statement to make. And it's funny because McVeigh does seem very self-aware in some other areas, like Hey, Jared Goff is extremely limiting. We just talked about Kirk Cousins at the top of the show. Very similar situation. I can't go farther with this guy. I've got to make a huge move to go get me a guy that can take me over the hump. So in other areas, he seems very self-aware of he and his team's limitations. But overall, that quote from Paganetti is extremely damning right that they don't seem to adjust they kind of just figure it's going to keep working and if you learn one thing we just talked about it with the 49ers right they needed to do some adjustments other teams the eagles we've talked about needed to go from what they were trying to hey we're just going to run guys over our offensive line is big and healthy we can win that way You need to adjust. Injuries occur. Trends go up and down. You start to lose success on things that you had early success on. Bill Belichick is famous at this, right, for not showing stuff in the preseason not showing stuff in the early games it doesn't matter because he knows he's going to need to pull the trigger on that stuff in the second half of the season they're going to need those plays tom Brady used to talked about it all the time when he was talking about bill belichick's game planning like we never showed anybody this we didn't put it on tape we didn't practice it after august and everybody just kind of had it in the bag and like this is a december play right we're gonna open <laughs> that bag in the december plays okay and the Rams don't seem to have a December bag. They seem to have like an August bag and they just pull out of it. And by the time we get to now, we get to December, everybody knows what's in the bag. And that's a real problem. And it's hurting the Rams chances. And I again, that makes it very much tougher to adjust. Right? What are you gonna do if you had to ask us? Well, what are you gonna do to right the ship, Rams? It's not somebody coming back. It's not somebody getting healthy. It's not that other half the playbook they're gonna open up. They're kind of are where they are, and I'm not sure what you do to really get on a roll going into the playoffs.
1: I just I find it interesting. Like we've talked about this before, that like from year to year, Sean McVay makes great adjustments. Yeah, but it's in the middle of the season. Where apparently they don't adjust at all, and I'm like, what? What's stopping you from doing what you do from February to July, and just doing it from September to December? Like, I, I, that's what's so frustrating, and that's why this like kind of snuck up on me. Is like I think of Sean McVay as somebody who adjusts because from year to year they always have new stuff, they always change, but they only do it in the off season. It's It's the weirdest trend. And so this does qualify as three down, but I also think it qualifies as three interesting because it's this this is just fascinating to me. And I I didn't even realize it until these numbers were pointed out. And then I kind of went back and looked through their, their season schedules and I was like, man, shit, they really do kind of fall apart after week nine every single year and this year is is no different it doesn't even matter apparently who the quarterback is whether it's golf whether it's stafford whether it's uh, whoever the the backup kid that they played in the playoffs last year like it's wofford. it's a quarterback agnostic problem yeah wofford like it's 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 just fucking weird yeah and i think
0: it is the juxtaposition between he does adjust heavily in the offseason and the other thing is who it got pinned on right and it, it all got, got pinned, pinned on golf <laughs> it got pinned on Goff. this is the old cia game of blame the dead guy right <laughs> like why was this operation a failure well that guy that didn't make it it was all his fault right and it feels like there was a little bit of that for jared goff right is oh he's not flexible enough and he he's not uh dynamic enough to make a bad play into a good one and so i'm gonna go get stafford and now (laughs) they got stafford and the same trend seems to be occurring now will it continue through the end of the year don't know people change teams change it's possible that just like the 49ers they find their mojo again and start Tearing people up with Cooper Cup and and doing all the things they were doing in the first half of the season. But that's going to have to happen at this point. Like they're under a lot of pressure to make that work because they put a lot they pushed a lot into the middle to do the Matt Stafford trade. And it was all about getting over the hump. And if this becomes a sort of, and I hate to bring this up because he was also a Rams coach, but a Jeff Fisher thing where you've got a mark, it's not the same mark, but you've got a mark and you end up there every year and you don't seem able to change that. No matter what you do, no matter how big you swing in the free agent market, um, that's
1: that's going to be a thing. Uh, three down number two. This one was also equally fascinating to me. Was uh, Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson, two quarterbacks that I both like a lot, both having really, really bad days. And uh, you know, Lamar got a win. Hurts had a loss that could have very easily been a win if Jalen Rager could hold on to the damn ball. But uh, you know, they they both threw a lot of picks. Hurts threw three picks in one quarter. Lamar threw three picks in, in another quarter, and then added one more later for a for a four interception day. They both had very, very ugly days. Not every pick was their fault, respectively. In fact, I could look at two of Hertz's picks. The first one, Quez Watkins was literally held by Darnay Holmes and, you know, kind of stumbled out of his break and then just stopped running for some reason, and Hurts was throwing it on time, on the right read, to the right spot, and Quez just didn't go to the spot, and Darnay Holmes did, so he got picked, and it looked really bad on the broadcast because the broadcast didn't show the replay. But when you look at the all 22, it was kind of like, okay, that, that wasn't Jalen's fault. And then the second pick, like Boston Scott, it's actually kind of hilarious because he's just so small. He literally just got shoved to the ground, almost nominated it for shot of the week. It was that hilarious to me. Um, and they didn't call it when, I mean, balls in the air, literally shoved the dude from behind face first into the ground and then picked it off. So I was like, okay, that's also not really his fault. The third one. Absolutely was his fault. Made a terrible decision, left the ball hanging super, super far inside, and just kind of floated it to a free safety that was literally on the hash when he released it, and it was it was the dumbest throw he made all day. So that one he deserved. But two of them, I didn't really think were his fault. And then obviously the potential game winner, two potential game winners to Rager got dropped. So it, it was it was a very up and down day for Hurts. Not all of it was his fault. Plenty of it was his fault, and they. They deserve to lose because of that. And then with Lamar, those picks, I I think, collectively were worse because the first interception was just kind of a, a weird bullet to, I think, Bateman over the middle that was thrown way too hard and just kind of bounced off his hand and got picked. The second one completely misread six buzz and the weak safety just came down to the hook zone, picked it off. I mean, just a I have no idea what he was looking at. Quite frankly, it was a bad throw. The third one, he missed Mark Andrews by five yards. Like, just threw it to a completely different spot than Andrews was. Again, it was one of those, like, what the hell you're looking at, Lamar-type picks. And the fourth one, also to Andrews, underthrew it by probably three yards, and that one got picked off in a crazy play by John Johnson. So all four of Lamar's picks 100% were his fault and were bad. But because he's Lamar Jackson, he made just enough crazy plays to the positive to still get a win. And so when I kind of look at these two quarterbacks that both had rough weeks, the difference between Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson both having bad days is that Lamar Jackson, being the MVP caliber quarterback that he is, was still able to overcome that and get the first win with four interceptions since Carson Palmer like a decade ago. (laughs) Whereas Jalen Hurts could not overcome it and lost to a very below average Giants team
0: it's tough. It's divisional loss as well. And the Rager thing, really disappointing. Uh, you know, I think back to one of the very first bootleg episodes we ever did was was Jalen Rager versus KJ Hamler at your dining table. And we had really high hopes for both of those guys. We liked them both. And, and neither one's really taken off. But Rager had an extremely tough rookie season. And then he's had his moments this year. He even had a moment in the first half of that game. Really nice catch in the corner of the end zone. Like, kept his feet down you know cool I was like yeah I saw that one and then you know I didn't see both drops later in the game until I went back and then I was like oh man come (laughs) on it feels a little bit like the Kirk Cousins thing like you make the great play and then you have another chance to make a game defining play and you know those balls were in his hands that was like you said those aren't Jalen's fault but Jalen's also not as dynamic as Lamar so he can't have that high variance well my receivers you know gave up on a couple interceptions i'm gonna rip off a 65 yard touchdown run and even this thing up like he's a good runner he's a very good runner he's not that kind of runner because nobody is i mean kyler maybe but we've talked about that That lamar has just enough gas to get that over and with lamar what sticks out to me is man, he and Mark Andrews are just, like, joined at the hip. Like, Mark Andrews is the A1 in that offense, and it kind of feels like he always will be as long as he's there. I I just can't imagine them, like, going out in the draft this year, drafting another wide receiver who's really talented, Um, you know, kind of like I imagine Jamar Chase, right? You know, they get a Jamar Chase type, and they put him across from Bateman, and then you're like, wow, that's great they've got, you know a one over here and you got bateman over here and then you got hollywood in the slot kind of like tyler Boyd. but then it's
1: third and seven and who's he throwing to
0: (laughs) and i (laughs) like mark (laughs) andrews a lot but the type of throw because of that connection that he makes to andrews pretty regularly is the i can't see anybody else i trust mark here you go type of throws and they're not always uh well advised in fact as a couple of these were ill-advised throws, and it it puts Mark in a tough spot and it puts the offense in a tough spot. But that's the safety blanket. We talk about a, a tight end being a safety blanket. Oh my God, Mark Andrews is the Ravens offense safety blanket when Lamar's at quarterback. And he's a very good tight end. This is not an anti-Mark Andrews rant. I like him a lot, but Lamar will put him in some really rough spots by going, well, I'm all out of options. You kind of look covered, but I'm going to whip it up to you, Mark, see what you can do and that's gotta stop like lamar is is far enough along that he he does have enough weapons they're not great in the passing game they could use another one but He's got to stop doing that because Mark Andrews is a great player, but he's not going to make all of those. And you're going to get these where they bounce funny, they pop up, uh, they're underthrown in the drive-ins, whatever it is. You, you've got to be able to sometimes just take the sort of average play. And I realize that running backs are basically wiped off face of the earth this season, and, he, and you know the dump off is not necessarily as good an option as it typically is if it was, say, oh, J.K. Dobbins back there. Like the screen pass that turns into a six-yard gain looks like a pretty good option when it's Dobbins, when it's Devonta Freeman and you're getting three or four okay maybe um so there are there are mitigating factors here but that bond between Andrews and Lamar when it's working it's awesome and when it's not it's the cause of some of these drives stalling out and was almost the cause of this game being lost
1: well you even saw the dichotomy just in this game where he winged the one up to Andrews and got picked because he wasn't able to salvage it when it was under and then there was another one where he winged it up to mark a little underthrown and he scooped it with one hand and you're like holy shit so it's like half the time he's getting it and making a crazy play and half the time it's a pick so you take the good with the bad and they still won but my god they made it so much they made it so much harder on themselves than they needed to so i agree lamar's just the kind of quarterback that can still make up for that and Jalen, at least as of right now is not but boy, as a fan of both of them, I hope I never see them play that poorly again because that was oof, it was rough to watch. Um, three down number three. Speaking of bad. Uh, there There's a whole lot of teams that either we think are bad or that we know are bad or that have bad records, but we think they're better than they are, and I know that sounds very confusing. And so this whole segment, we're going to go through every single team that is... 500 or less, and we're going to assign them to three different categories, which is bad teams that we know are bad, bad teams that have had some good moments, you know, some some little uh, feathers in their cap every now and then, but on the whole, they're still either below average or just outright bad. And then good teams that we think might be good, but also could possibly be bad, And maybe they're just underachieving, but we're not quite sure yet. And to kind of preface this, by the way, to give you some context, because you're going to see certain conferences a lot more represented than others. 10 of the 16 teams in the NFC are under 500 right now. Only four of the 16 teams in the AFC are under 500. So the, the, the range for each conference is vastly different. But that being said, these are the five teams that we have in the category and EJ feel free to interrupt me anytime you need to if you disagree well I just want to
0: clear it up for everybody I feel like we might need a graphic for this so those of you following along at home here's the key we have bad bad which is bad (laughs) bad bad is bad 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 is bad we have good bad and then we have maybe good, bad. So we're going to have to come up with some little graphical key, but bad, bad is bad. And we're going to start with the easy stuff. We're going to, we're going to polish off the bad, bads. These are the, these are the ones that are bad. We know they're bad. They're playing bad. We got it. They're, they're bad, bad.
1: And they're probably obvious to the people listening at home, Jacksonville, Houston, Jets, Detroit. And then the last one I might get a little bit of flack for, but I'm sorry. You're three and eight. You're just Bad. Seattle Seahawks, thank you for playing. See you next year. Like and those are the is, five teams that I think are bad, bad, like indisputably just terrible.
0: And that's recency bias, too, because we're recording this on a Tuesday night. Seattle was the Monday night game and they played horribly like and I'm again, sorry, Seattle. They looked like the Bears on offense. They share a lot of similarities with Chicago. The line is not great. They don't have an identity. Russ was hit and miss. He was great for one throw and then awful at either not throwing it where he was supposed to or just throwing it wildly off target. I hope for his sake that he's not terribly healthy. I know that's a wild thing to say. I mean, I always want everybody to be healthy, but if he is healthy and he's still playing like that, he's got some splaining to do. So Seattle at three and eight, like it's not, it's not happening for the Seahawks this year. And honestly, if you stack them up against most teams in the NFL right now, they're not beating them, and that's yeah. why they slip into the bad, bad category.
1: The the good, bad category, which is bad teams that have at least at one point or another we thought might have been good, or at least had some good moments. We got the Giants, who got a win this week over the Eagles, because of course they did. Uh, we have the Steelers, who... We just trashed in the last in the first third of the show, but hey, they still beat Buffalo. They they've had a couple really good wins in their belt, and so they've had some spikes here and there, but on the whole, they're still a below average football team. Chicago, which also has had their moments, but let's not be fooled here. It's the Bears, they're below average. We have Carolina who started out super hot beating up on the bad bads <laughs> and then kind of fell back to earth when uh, when Sam Darnold imploded and then Cam came in and you know showed a little something. But then, you know, kind of fell back to earth again this week and PJ Walker's not doing it for me either. So they're I'm not going to say they're bad, but they're definitely below average on the whole. And also the offensive line is terrible, which definitely puts them in this category like they're just and if you go against a good defensive line, they're not going to do anything. Uh, New Orleans, which this maybe is a little bit unfair to them because I think a lot of it is caused by injury. They're missing like 14 starters right now. If they're fully healthy, they'd probably be in the next category, but because they're not fully healthy, and I don't know if they're ever going to be fully healthy for the rest of the season, I'm kind of putting them in the bad teams that have had some good moments category. And then Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta is one of the most schizophrenic teams in the entire league where you really never know what you're going to get but on the whole I'd say it's more likely that they're going to lose by 20 than it is that they're going to win by 20 and I I do think that they are I don't want to say they're in like need of a full rebuild but they're still a couple years away. Uh, Arthur Smith needs a couple good solid drafts for I think they're going to be in position to to really do anything here and even by then Matt Ryan's going to be 38 so we'll see but they're They're still kind of out of it. So looking at these six teams, not to put you on the spot here, which one would you say is in the best position to be better than this category next year? I would even say maybe at the end of this
0: year, and and this is a debate that happened on another show uh, earlier today, New Orleans is a team that, look, Sean Payton can pull rabbits out of hats and he is severely understaffed. Like their their players are beat up. Their receiving core looks terrible. Kamara, who's the heart and soul of that offense right now with Drew Brees gone, uh, is out. Um, like it's a rough spot. Their defense played really well to start the year. They've been faltering a little bit, some part due to injury, some part just not getting support from the offense. You know, who knows what's happening at quarterback. It was Jameis and he was hurt and then it was Taysom and it wasn't and then you're starting Trevor Simeon and people are calling. People are calling for Ian Book. That's the red flag. Like last week, people <laughs> were like, well, there's no reason not to play Ian Book. If people are saying that about your season, you're in a not great place. Um, could they pull it together, make some wins and squeak into the expanded playoff? They, they could. Is it likely? No. Are the Giants going to do it? Nope. We talked about Pittsburgh. Not going to happen. Chicago don't get buoyed because they beat up on the lions in a last second field goal like not a good thing they always beat up on the lions matt nagy is seven and one against the lions he's like 24 and 20 versus everybody else in the league don't don't think that that success matters they're they're not making a run uh atlanta like you said Can look like gangbusters one week and then get blown off the face of the map the next week. So I don't have any faith in them, but could they get hot? They could. They have the talent to do it. Do I think they're going to? I don't. Carolina, they are quarterbackless. And if you are quarterbackless in this league, like Cam is clearly not it. A lot of people had huge hopes for P.J. P.J. had a rough day. Uh, Sam Darnold supposedly
1: is going to start throwing again this week. I don't really
0: think that matters they are, I,
1: I, Yeah, it doesn't matter to me at all.
0: They are quarterbackless. And if you're quarterbackless, I don't care how good your defense is. I don't care how good your run game is. I don't care how good, you know you're not going anywhere so uh and i i know that's an argument against new orleans right you just said you just, new orleans doesn't have a quarterback it's true but they do have sean payton and they have a pretty strong defense if they get some guys back there they could make a run but i would say probably new orleans and honestly it's any almost anybody you put a quarterback on pittsburgh you put a a brand shiny new quarterback whether it's free agency or the draft and you get a good one pittsburgh pittsburgh could be good quickly the Giants, I feel like, could be the same. There's a lot of talk about Russ possibly going to the Giants in the offseason. They're going to get rid of Dave Gettleman. Who knows about Joe Judge?
1: There's some thought that Russ uh, would fit it well. It kind of sounds, speaking of them, by the way, it kind of sounds like Judge is staying. I is, get that, is that the feeling. the vibe you get?
0: Yeah, and I don't like it, but I do get that, which is weird to me. I, I understand it. I sent you that that tweet was like oh maybe they need another draft of who joe judge likes and i basically said why like i just don't think that's the answer but you know imagine that a healthy russell wilson goes and sits behind all those offensive line draft picks is throwing to kadarius tony and galloway and you know saquon's back healthy and if they retain ingram and like there's there's a chance there so really if you put a good quarterback on a lot of these teams specifically new orleans carolina pittsburgh or the giants like whoever gets the best quarterback in the offseason could be good quickly
1: Ah, kirk cousins
0: he would have a market i mean you know kirk think about it kirk cousins in pittsburgh that's exactly what i was thinking yeah and you know he's gonna make the receivers look pretty darn good their receiver core is very talented and again they probably go get some offensive line help right and they got a great running back in Najee, like it wouldn't it look could work. All, it wouldn't look all that much different than the Vikings, right? And I know Vikings fans are like, you don't want that. But like everybody in Pittsburgh's like, we want that. Big Ben is good, <laughs> So it's it's interesting. But like, yeah, there's I think there's four teams there. Chicago's got its own issues. They have their quarterback, but they kind of need everything else. And then Atlanta, like you said, I think they're at least one more good solid draft away from kind of everybody gelling with Arthur Smith's system matt ryan has shown that he can still do it um if they surround him with some pieces uh, you know yeah maybe i'm not
1: ruling it out
2: i'm not ruling it out
0: defense needs some help this year not going to happen um so really it's it's quarterback dependent for a lot of those teams new orleans needs more help but man peyton makes up for a lot like they need some receiving help too uh even if kamara comes back healthy and they did get said ex quarterback um to lead them in the building their the receiver core is pretty destroyed at the moment they they need to build that back up
1: uh last category these are teams we think are actually good but have similar records to some of the teams in the previous category they're, they're kind of floating in that 500 or slightly below 500 realm and these are all teams that again if we're seeing Most of them playing in January would not be shocked, but I'm not entirely sure which ones are actually good and which ones are just kind of having these mid season surges after really rough starts to kind of, you know, what's the word regression back to the mean. And then we kind of might see it go up and down for the rest of the year and they end up like, I don't know, uh, nine and eight, or, you know, oh God, 17 games. Does the math add up on that? I think it does. You know, maybe <laughs> they'll they'll end up like around 500 or above 500. So these are those six teams. The Browns, which you could argue a lot of their volatility has been injury-based, but volatility is volatility, and the injuries aren't exactly going away for them. Like, they just lost Jack Conklin, and it's, it's just been a never-ending, constant uh, injury fest for them this entire season. Minnesota, who we've talked about extensively already, they play really well, and then Kirk has one of those Kirk games and they lose, and then they're right back to being at five hundred again, and you just want to tear your hair out because you always feel like you're about to get over the hump and then you don't. You got Washington, who under Taylor Heineke, they started out very similar to the Colts, who's the next team on the list, where, you know, you're you're two and five, you're one and four, and then all of a sudden, you kind of start stringing together some quality wins. You're you're you know playing well against Tampa. In Washington's case, they beat Tampa. In Indy's case, they took them down to the last minute. Um, kind of weird that the Tom Brady litmus test exists for most of these teams, but it does. And so you know these are these teams that have kind of crawled out of that terrible hole to start the year to either get close to 500 or be 500. And then you get Miami and, and Philadelphia, who I think made drastic schematic changes when they realized that things were going south. Miami started, I think, 1-5, if I recall correctly. And then, you know, Brian Flores, I don't know if it's been confirmed, but it's at least been heavily implied that he took over defensive play calling duties and was like, you know what, I'm just going to call zero all the time because I can, and we'll see who can handle it. And so far, nobody has. Not to mention Tua, I think, has played... Uh, well enough to to kind of get this offense moving and grooving and, and putting up enough points for that defense to just go hunt. Fun fact: like seventy percent of his yardage over the last three weeks is after the catch because Jalen Waddle and and all of these uh, all of these yak threats are apparently insane. But that's been working for him, so more power to him, I guess. And then uh, Philadelphia, also in that same vein, we've talked about it multiple times on this show throughout the year where they weren't running the ball. And then all of a sudden they decided to run the ball. They made a drastic change to of their offense and they started steamrolling people. And now they're back in playoff contention. So out of these six teams, Cleveland, Minnesota, Washington, Indianapolis, Miami, and Philly, which teams do you think are actually good? And which teams do you think were just kind of regressing to, uh, you know, 500-ish mean?
0: yeah <laughs> it, they're, they're in two separate categories for me and it's teams like cleveland i think cleveland is the poster child for the first category which is wildly talented we had very high expectations we both called them division winners in our divisional preview series um really thought they would be better than 500 now they're 500 is is that a death now no could they get it going and make the playoffs and make a push they could does it look like they're going to it really hasn't right it doesn't look like they're that team right now and that's a little bit inexplicable so super talented underachieving and i think cleveland and minnesota are clearly in that category and and very similar both have a ton of talent could win every week uh aren't winning every week right now washington is the kind of uh title push between these two halves of this, which is we also thought they were really talented. We thought they were short of quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down almost immediately, but Taylor Heineke Taylor Heineke has played serviceably, right? He has kept them in games. He's better than that some games. Like you said, the Tom Brady litmus test, he's got Brady's number. He's played him tough once and beat him once. So, you know, good enough to win, but the rest of the talent, especially the defense, has kind of fallen off and we didn't expect that so those are teams with a lot of talent that don't necessarily haven't necessarily matched the win totals that we envisioned for them the other three teams indianapolis miami and philadelphia feel very similar to me in that they started off not great and there are a lot of questions and people said certainly in case of indy like this is a very talented team they're not playing up that would kind of feel like that puts them in the first group but now they've hit their stride we talked about indy last week They played Brady extremely tough this weekend. Miami definitely feels like a shift, right? Two has come back. He's gotten healthy uh, and he's playing really pretty good football. I'll give you a stat on that in a minute. And then Philadelphia makes this major shift from whatever we're doing, throw it out with the bathwater. We've got a huge offensive line. We're going to steamroll everybody. And that propels them to some mid-season wins where they feel like they have momentum. So those are teams that all started off like not great. And certainly in the past two, three weeks, have played much better, much more complete, more competitive football. Now back to the Miami thing. Our buddy Travis Wingfield, who works for the Dolphins, Uh, it's interesting because now Tua has 16 starts in the books, which before mm-hmm. this year was a full season. And here's some numbers, just numbers. Completions, 351 out of 524 attempts. That's 67%. 3500 yards, 21 TDs, 11 picks, passer rating which you could take or leave as a stat 90.5 and throw in six rushing TDs. So all this, hey, throw a bunch of dirt on Tua stuff from a month ago, like for a quarterback just finishing up his first full year of games pretty pretty solid. Now, is he getting a lot of help from the offense right now? You pointed it out. He is absolutely getting a lot of his help from his offense. However, that's what they built it for. <laughs> like, not
1: the offensive line, but no. Jalen Waddle for sure. <laughs> but Jalen
0: Waddle, Gusecki, like, this is who Tua is. This is who we pegged him as coming out in the draft. He is a distributor. He is an RPO quarterback. He is a quick game guy. He likes slants and getting the ball out of his hand fast. And he's really good at it. It's, that's not a game manager thing for him. That's his game. So Miami, smartly. Uh, at least from a front office perspective, has tried to surround him with players that can make that better. And, you know, right now they're hitting that mark and the defense has gone off. So it's really sort of two tiers like, hey, these guys are wildly talented, but they're not playing like it for some reason. And then these guys all started off pretty crappy, but they've hit their stride and they aren't really teams that I would want to play right now.
1: Just in case you were wondering, by the way, Jalen Waddle, who's been spectacular. Forty-five percent of his entire yardage total this year has been after the catch. He's got 350 yards after the catch in what do they played? 10 games? Like, that's that's pretty darn good. Like, he's getting more yards after the catch this year than Jalen Rager, first rounder from last year, is getting per game. So it's uh he's he's pretty dynamic, and I think, you know, looking at him hit that uh was it 21.4 miles per hour on that 57 yarder this past week kind of feels like he's hundred percent the ankles feeling good he's he's looking exactly like uh you know 2019 Jalen Waddle where he gets the ball and there's five dudes in the league that I think can stay with him step for step like it's it's that kind of speed he he fast. <laughs> he fast.
0: There, he fast. No no doubt about it. And and he and Tua reunited are having some fun. Like you saw him in a post game interview after this last game. Like they're bouncing around. They're they're two kids enjoying it. Like they are having fun playing football right now. And I don't care what you say. Like that makes a dangerous team. If you have some sort of balance and you're having fun as a team, and they clearly are right now. That is not a team you want to play if it's at all talented. The Dolphins have been acquiring talent for really now two and a half years worth of rebuild, and they are not without talent. Do they have some holes, most notably along the offensive line, that they could fill in? They do, but it is not a talentless team. They have a lot of talented players on this team, and you start grooving, you start having a good time, you start having fun playing football and polishing off teams, doing what you're good at, Like that makes a dangerous late-season opponent.
1: Four game win streak, not just second best in the AFC, second best in the NFL. That's that's what we're talking about here. Let's get to uh, three interesting number one now, which is the Broncos. <laughs> Speaking of of good teams that are kind of ascending here, uh, the Broncos who are above five hundred now, hanging around, winning games. They're six and five, tied for both second. and and fourth in the AFC West cuz uh, everybody but the Chiefs is 6 and 5 in that hellscape of a division. Uh good luck trying to figure out who's going to win that one. I certainly don't know. And it's it's fascinating to me because they're only one game back from KC. But they play KC twice for the rest of the season in this kind of home stretch. If they if they just split with Kansas City, like let's say they win this week, they get a tiebreaker all of a sudden they're first in the division and then they they hope that Kansas City drops one late in the year they hold court they can afford to split late in the year i think they play week 18 if i remember correctly i think they're the i think they're the finisher like they can afford to split and still win the division or worst case scenario their destiny is in their own hand where somehow some way I'm not saying they will but if they do sweep Kansas City they win the division they're hosting a playoff game at mile high which in the winter is fucking hard to play in if you remember those uh those golden years with Peyton Manning they were really hard to beat in mile high because it's just so cold and and so windy and just cuts right to the bone and it's loud there too it's really loud like the the Broncos only being one game back but two games left with the division winner They're dangerous. They can make a run here. I'm not in love with every part of their team, but we said it in the offseason. You go back and listen to our division preview. Very talented roster. They've put together some very strong drafts. The one question we had was quarterback. But as long as their quarterback doesn't mess it up, the rest of their team is good enough to win.
0: Yep. And they went and got a don't mess it up quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. And he has largely upheld that he's been knocked out a little bit, missed a little bit of time, but generally when he has been in there, he has been distributing it to all the weapons that they have continued to amass. Uh, we talked last year about them being a track team and then they went out and got Javante Williams. Um, so, uh, just re signed a couple of their wide receivers, uh, which is great for the long term health of that franchise. But one of those teams that kind of was quiet through the first half of the year. They're a little bit up and down, they weren't really ascending or blowing people out. And we, we talked about them some, but we hadn't talked about them a lot. And then you look at the division standings and it's like, okay, so Casey's righted their ship and they're back at seven and four. Everybody else in their division is six and five. So down the stretch, especially like you said, as they play each other, there's going to be some wild swings here and Denver just feels like one of those teams that's really well positioned to end up like maybe not in the top spot, but definitely in a place to work their way into the playoffs, sort of under their own power. Their defense is the best in the division on points allowed. And we're going to talk about points, not yards. 196 points total allowed by the broncos this year that's 54 points better than the next team in their division which is the chiefs which yeah the chiefs had some defensive struggles but you know there are a couple other really talented defensive teams uh in that division and the broncos are leading it by a bunch just to put it in perspective the patriots have only allowed six less points than the Broncos and everybody's like oh that Patriots defense oh comes to play every week like yeah they have 190 points allowed the Broncos have 196 two field goals extra this and they defense just throttled is,
1: Justin Herbert by the way again the the
0: flip coin that I was talking about at the top right we talked about Kirk being great and we talked about Justin Herbert being a god so of course kirk comes out and has the wheels fall off game and justin herbert is reverted to the oregon offense where he doesn't throw anything deeper than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage and looks terrible and loses only puts up 13 points so, oh no he
1: he did throw it deep one time and then patrick Sertan flicked it off and ran it back but yeah you know look at his look at his little spray chart
0: <laughs> look at his little spray chart it looks like the oregon offense again which is i will never understand why they revert to that with that guy at quarterback but this defense is making it work with a lot of investment like Fangio defense not surprising that they're playing well but they've loaded up and they're getting contributions from guys they drafted regardless we can skip the quarterback discussion they did draft Patrick 10 second he's playing great Javante Williams who was my RB1 so they got my RB1 and my CB1 ended up going to the same team and Javante has been as advertised Mullen Gordon's been chipping in very well And then we talked about Cooper a couple of weeks ago, Jonathan Cooper, who was a late rounder from Ohio State and has been getting great production. Baron Browning's been working into the lineup and giving them some great downs. He's been doing, you know, that pass coverage thing sideline to sideline, which as an uber-athletic, you know, big guy who's about 250, um, he excels at. And then you've got a whole other cast filling up the rest of this defense that as we get into late games bad weather you know having a suffocating defense and a run game built off you know javante and melvin gordon like teddy's not gonna have to win it in a 25 mile an hour snowstorm right he's gonna be able to hand it off to two pounding backs and the defense is gonna come after your ass this is a team that could make a lot of noise going forward right they're in it right now and we could see them over the last month month and a half the regular season here really start to turn it up because of the way they're built
1: uh also speaking of that defense i do want to highlight somebody that i don't know if we've ever talked about since he's gotten into the nfl on this show i know we both liked him before he got to the nfl uh and that's draymond jones who is 11th among all nfl interior defensive linemen right now with 32 pressures you virtually never hear his name at least in like the national discussion among like really good interior pass rushers, he is really, really productive. And among all other defensive tackles that are in like the top fifty in pressures. So that's, I don't know, most of them. The only guys in the top fifty that have a higher win percentage on their pass rush reps than Draymond Jones are Aaron Donald, Jonathan Allen, Cam Hayward. DeForest Buckner, Javon Hargrave, who's also amazing, and J.J. Watt. That's it. That's that's the kind of company that he's keeping here with his pass what pass rush excuse me win rate. He's pretty damn good, and nobody ever talks about him.
0: Yeah, on that list, they're all damn good. Like Aaron Donald goes without saying. We were just talking about Jonathan Allen during the break um, as a guy that it, you know if you watch trench play right offensive defensive line interaction jonathan allen is a guy that wrecks week after week everybody cam hayward same way like cam hayward is every bit of what aaron donald is typically especially when he has a little bit of support which he doesn't right now deforest buckner we love and have talked about at length javon hargrave having a great year jj watt having a resurgent year doing uh, i would say probably like 75 percent of what the old jj watt did but for this particular cardinals team like that's exactly what they needed so all the guys on that list are killers And, yeah, Draymond Jones, if you threw him in there, people would be like, who? What are you you talking about? And, you know, he's there, and he is, too, getting help. Uh, You know, they had Von Miller. They just traded him away. But uh, Bradley Chubb's going to be coming back from injury. Like, he has the potential to get even better, which should be really, really scary if you play in that division or play him down the stretch.
1: Yeah, it's just – it's a – I'm not saying they're a threshing machine of a team. But in the right weather – In Mile High, when it's rocking in the playoffs, which it usually is, like that's a loud, loud stadium, like there's a reason why whenever they were good or bad, didn't even matter, Tom Brady struggled at Mile High. It's different there. And when their defense is talented in that stadium, I don't care who you are, they're really, really hard to beat. So word to the wise, if they they make a late-season push and they win the AFC West – I would not be shocked, not only if they win their wildcard game, I wouldn't be shocked if they potentially make a much deeper run than that. They are built properly for playoff football. Again, it relies on Teddy not screwing it up, which he's perfectly capable of doing, but they're built correctly. So I want to give credit to the Broncos for that at least. Would I have still taken Justin Fields? Yes, I'm going to die on that hill. You had to. Patrick... This is, yeah. I, ha, I, I had to say it. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I can't go to. a second without saying it. I had uh-uh. to say it. I love Patrick Sertan. He's fucking amazing. One of the best rookie corners that we've seen in a long time. He's amazing. Still would have taken a quarterback, but he's amazing. I don't Fair mean, enough. I, I'm sorry. I can't talk about the Broncos without saying it, EJ. You know the I, rule. You know the I rule. I know
0: the rule, and I'm, I'm just witnessing it in action. Um, Yeah, It the Broncos fans should take heart. Right? Could they absolutely collapse over the last part of the season? They could, but boy, it sure doesn't look like they're going to because this has not been a one trick pony, a one unit pony. Like, this is a Broncos team that is a full grown ass horse, right? They got a defense, (laughs) they got an offense, which just needed a decent trigger man, which they got. Special teams has been playing well enough to keep them in games, certainly not throwing games away for them like this is a team that is playing solidly and could afford a couple of losses has already weathered a couple losses Bradley Chubb missed some time and some other folks have been out Teddy missed a little bit of time like it's you know it's a team that can survive that and that makes them dangerous down the stretch either way so Broncos fans should take heart they're in position now and look to be in a better position soon so
1: they got Javonta in the second round, right? Second round pick? Well, that is a fantastic transition to our next <laughs> segment. Three interesting number two. The running back pit of despair. I want to read you a list in light of Christian McCaffrey going on injured reserve this week with uh, with an injury. Hope he gets better because he's an amazing player. Uh, first round running backs taken over the last decade. So this is since 2010 think is how far back I went Mark Ingram David Wilson Doug Martin Trent Richardson Melvin Gordon we we're just talking about him Todd Gurley Zeke Elliott Christian McCaffrey Leonard Fournette also mentioned in today's show Sony Michelle Rashad Penny Saquon Barkley Josh Jacobs Clyde Edwards Hilaire Travis Etienne who has yet to play because of an unfortunate injury and Najee Harris pretty good players on that list a lot of good players on that list some all pros some guys that have even won or at least challenged for offensive player of the year how many of them got a second contract with their team how many were worth a second contract with their team that they signed either due to injury or in Gurley's case a degenerative knee condition that just sapped his explosiveness like midway through his second contract like the last great year he had was the super bowl run and then it just kind of fell apart you know zeke's had some injury issues like fournette didn't even make it one full contract with the jags and then somehow became a better player for the bucks when he was on a cheap free agent deal when there was less resources invested in him you know sony michelle got traded rashad penny never really became anything saquon's been hurt um You know, Travis Etienne's already hurt. David Wilson, unfortunately, had his career cut short by injury. Like, Trent Richardson was... uh, Trent Richardson. Like, the only guy on this list that I think, like, got a second contract and was potentially worth it was Zeke out of, what, 15 names? Like, you could argue Mark Ingram maybe because he's been around this long. But like a one in 15 hit rate for guys that got a second deal and were worth it. I don't know. I'm kind of feeling like investing uh, in the running back position high. Like I I used to be a, a proponent of like, yeah, it's fine. Good football players are good football players. I think I've been radicalized over the last two years that, nope, I don't care how good they are. I don't care how high the grade is as a prospect. You don't do it. Take something else. Anything else. I'm, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I didn't mean to radicalize you. Um, we're going to go with the flip side, which is once they've made it, and we had this discussion uh, in the middle of last, summer before last, our first summer as a podcast, because it was the big money re-signing year for all the running backs. And this is a tweet from Bill Barnwell. The big, and by big he means 12 million AAV, running back contracts cmc just talked about it done for the year derrick henry out indefinitely cook out indefinitely Kamara, out injured zeke back but playing through injury just came back from injury playing okay so far aaron jones just back from injury chubb missed two games with injury but he's back and playing well. And Joe Mixon, very good. We just talked about him powering the Bengals' offense and being a little bit underrated, but you got CMC, Henry, Cook, Kamara, Zeke, Aaron Jones, Chubb, and Mixon. And you have done for the year, out, out, injured, playing through injury, just back from injury, missed two games with injury and back playing well, and then one of them with a clean slate this year, but he was out last year, Joe Mixon playing awesome those are all the guys that got 12 million plus to play running back and we just talked about all the guys that you would pick up on cheaper contracts in the first round have that fifth year of control which is what we've talked about beforehand And look, maybe some of those guys at the end of the list who haven't been up for a second contract yet, maybe Josh Jacobs makes it to a second contract. Maybe he's worth it, but he's been dinged up already in his first two seasons. So again, the chances that it's like a dead drop lock that you have somebody that's just crushing it and healthy and good for the second contract and worth the first round pick in the first place is a really tough argument to make. And the reason that Brett's been quote-unquote radicalized is meanwhile... (laughs) You've got James Robinson, UDFA, Tony Pollard, round four, pick 128. Dearness Johnson, who, given his shot in the limelight this year, mashed it. He was UDFA. Khalil Herbert, who we saw go off for the Bears when David Montgomery was down. Round six, pick 217. (laughs) The entire Cardinals backfield. Connor, third round. Edmonds, fourth round. Eno Benjamin, round seven, pick 222. All those guys productive playing cost their teams virtually nothing some of them did cost their teams nothing udfas in terms of capital cost to to acquire them zero they just called them and said come play for us right there's some round sevens some round sixes some round fours there's no major investment there connor is like the highest one and he was a third rounder right so in terms of being able to build a capable backfield, to build a productive backfield, to build a versatile backfield stable, because look, guys are going to get hurt. It is an injury-focused position. I'm not going to say injury-prone. It's,
1: like, it's almost guaranteed at some point they're going to get hurt, though. And as the season gets longer, it's only going to
0: happen more often. So you need two or three of them, which is even more argument not to put 12 $15, 18000000 million into one of them right? Take $10 million and spread it over three of them, a UDFA, a late round pick, and maybe somebody you really liked that you got in the fourth, right? You're going to need all of them eventually. And you're going to have maybe 10 or 12 million tied up in all three of them. And you're still going to have every bit of the production and, and maybe, well, definitely more Protection against injury if your one big bell cow goes down that you're dropping, you know, 13 million a year on. So the running back position is what it is. They are still extremely talented players, but in terms of value in the first round, think about what else you can get. Think about the Steelers, right? Always picking late round. Typically, Mike Tomlin doesn't go on big losing streaks, so they're always picking. Mid-20s or later, it seems like. And yeah, this year they went, hey, Najee's a great football player and he fits us really well. Like, the Steelers aren't doing anything with Najee. It's not Najee's fault, right? has very little to do. Najee's been playing his butt off. Great player. He's been playing his butt off. Is he changing the Steelers' fortune right now? And the answer is, he's not. So, you know, could you have gotten, in the Steelers' case, let's just do the Steelers because they're on the board right now. Could you have gotten... I don't know, Creed
1: Humphrey. Right? Could you have gotten a guard? I'll I'll go even more extreme than that. Yeah. Because you knew that Ben was cooked. I'm sorry. If they didn't know that he was cooked and they decided to run this back, they're just incompetent. I refuse to believe they're incompetent. I think they knew what he was. But you could have taken that 24th pick and gone up to get a guy. Like the Jets went from... 23 to 13 for a second and a third the bears went from 20 to 11 you you could have gone up and got a guy and i think that packaging a couple picks to go up and get a quarterback of the future because your backup plan is mason fucking rudolph i think that's a better allocation of resources than a running back as good as Najee is That's a better allocation of resources, because guess what? Even when Najee's on the field, if your quarterback is Mason Rudolph, you're not going to win.
0: Yeah, this is not a rant against the players. These are talented players who can play a very large role in your offense. This is a rant against the cost of acquisition and maintenance, right? First round pick is the highest cost of acquisition you can pretty much pay for somebody in the draft. And in terms of salary cap balance, if you're paying... 10 plus million dollars a year to a position you are most likely going to lose for a decent percentage of the time to injury it's just not a smart use of resources so this is a more use of resources argument than it is against running backs don't matter we're not saying that they do a lot of these guys are really good players but you can get them for less and you can amass two or three of them for not even the total cost of either initial acquisition in terms of draft picks or overall salary and it's just a smarter way to build a football team
1: and in the interest of efficiency, and this this is actually what I find ironic, because the Browns are all about efficient roster building, and when they signed both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb to extensions, I texted a buddy of mine in their front office, and I said, oh, interesting that you, you paid both of them. Like, they were, like, the the Kareem Hunt deal, was like, in terms of per year, wasn't even that much money, but I was like, oh, interesting that you paid both. And he's like, yeah, Kevin wants two guys because he knows that one of them's going to get hurt and he wants to have two. So that no matter what, we've always got a guy that, worst case, we can give 20 carries to and we feel good about it. They both got hurt. And then Dearness Johnson started Thursday night and still got like 130 yards and won them the game. So I just find it like super fascinating that the front office that's like really focused on like efficient resource allocation and roster building and listening to you know every avenue of modern thinking for roster building you can think of still paid running backs and then still won a game because of a dirt cheap UDFA that was their third stringer and it's who is crazy story. talented.
0: It was crazy th- talented. And that's the thing is people are always like, "Well, that's great if you can hit it, but you can't." That's the argument for quarterbacks. You are not going to find a UDFA quarterback. And I was like, "Oh, Tony Romo, Kurt Warner." Yep got any others? (laughs) Oh no, you don't. Okay. Well, I'll start with my list of UDFA running backs. Let's talk Philip Lindsay. Let's just go back to the roster list I had, right? You got Robinson, you got Lindsay, you got Dearness Johnson, and there's plenty more where that came from. Whereas with quarterbacks, you really are looking for a needle in a haystack and it's not likely going to happen with running backs. You've got a decent shot. If you know what you like, and your scouting staff, uh, is good enough. You can find running backs every single year in the UDFA pool that they don't have to be your number one, a starter. They can be your third running back on the bench and you're going to need them and they can come in and do what Dearness Johnson
1: did. Three interesting. Number three, got the road warriors. These are teams that weirdly enough have been better on the road this year than average. Each of these teams have, four wins or more on the road. Typically it's that's going to be like 4 and 2, 4 and 1. Not all of them have played the same number of road games, but they've all done really really well on the road. It's the Cardinals, at 6 and 0. Oh, they're still undefeated on the road, weirdly enough. The Rams are 4 and 2, even though they've had a little bit of a slide, they're still 4 and 2 on the road. 49ers, 4 and 1. Falcons, 4 and 2. Eagles, 4 and 3. Patriots also undefeated on the road. They're 5 and 0. The Bills are 4 and 2, the Bengals are 4 and 2, and the Titans are 4 and 2. Here's what's interesting about it. That's why it's three interesting number 3. There are 4 teams on that list that have worse records at home than they do on the road. The 49ers are 4 and 1, but 2 and 4 at home. The Falcons are 4 and 2 on the road as I said, but 1 and 4 at home, which is atrocious. The Eagles also one and four at home and the Patriots the, who are like the class of the AFC are somehow three and four at home. It's just kind of a weird thing to me that, and it's not even all for the same reason. Like some of these teams like just started out awful, which is where they piled up some home losses and then kind of righted the ship. Like the Eagles are among them. The 49ers are among them, but some of them like the Patriots, I feel like have been good for a while now they've won six straight games but they're still three and four at home. Like they haven't lost in a month and a half and they still have a negative home record and undefeated on the road. That's kind of crazy to me.
0: There are some other fun divisional things. This came about because I was looking at the schedule and I was just doing standings and I was actually looking for streaks, wins and losses, which is the last column in the schedule. But as I was doing that, I started looking at the win percentages and I was like, and this really came down to nfc which we know is the lesser conference in the afc and i was like okay and i started counting and i was like one two how many 500 okay i'm gonna go 500 or less right one two there, there's 10 of them <laughs> in the nfc right and then i started looking at it and the other two fun divisional things about this home road balance is three of the four teams in the nfc west are on the positive road warrior list right the cardinals the rams and the 49ers and another one that i found we didn't mention these teams but it was just super odd to me looking at numbers and how they stack up the entire afc west we talked about how tight that division is kansas city one game ahead and then three teams that have the exact same record the entire afc west all four teams is three and two on the road right now
1: it's like what? Like
0: it's probably why how? they all have the same fucking record. <laughs> I know, but how with all the randomization? Again, you've said it. Some teams have played more of their road games uh, versus their home games. Like the balance and slate is different. The schedule is incredibly complex, and you have division where it's like the matrix glitched. Right? <laughs> oh no, they all came out with the same record, and oh no, they all have the same you know uh, road record. It's just really odd. So something that we thought was fun to bring up. That's why three interesting is a cool segment. We can bring it up and say, look, the Cardinals are, are killing it in general. They're really at the top of the class of the NFL, but they're basically undefeated on the road, six and oh Patriots five and oh late run on the road. Just something to pay attention to because not all those teams are going to get home playoff games, right? But if you're one of those teams, that's like, yeah, we win, you know, two thirds of our games on the road okay not not such a not such a handicap as you have to go play in somebody else's stadium in, in possibly bad weather you're used to it and you're used to winning so just to something to keep an eye on uh we thought it was fun we hope you think it's fun if you've got ideas for sections that you think would be really cool and three interesting drop them on Twitter drop them in the comments on YouTube we'd love uh, we've had some great fan suggestions this year about segments uh that we like including in the show and as we find weird stuff we'll just keep bringing it to you because that's who we are.
1: uh and with that being said let's get to my favorite segment the bootleg shot of the week last week's winner very close vote ended up being a fan favorite wyatt teller upping his body count against detroit pulling in space just completely demolishing some poor linebacker uh we had a an all offensive line thanksgiving version of the of the bootleg shot of the week and uh Wyatt Teller predictably he was actually who I thought was going to win and he ended up winning cuz uh everybody loves Wyatt Teller and everybody loves Wyatt Teller pancaking linebackers so oh you know what I got to pour my shot oh do you well I, I totally forgot
0: I poured mine a while ago and it's uh I had it over ice but it's heated it up a little bit I got Kinsale Black today so uh very nice small batch whiskey out of Ireland this is their uh, the black version is their longer barrel-aged version. Um, still pretty smooth. Definitely a, a you know golden, and this one has a little bit of water in
1: it because the ice melted, but what do you got? Uh, I have never done a shot of this, so I apologize if this is terrible. Please uh, tell me it's I...
0: not jalapeno bitters.
1: No, well, yeah, i <laughs> making that mistake again. Jesus Christ. Uh, this is Applejack. This is Apple Brandy Oh yeah, yeah. from Laird's. I'm assuming this is going to be okay to shoot without killing me, but I guess we'll see. Here's open. Cheers to you, Wyatt Teller. Uh, great hit. Oh, that is perfectly good to shoot. Wow, that's great.
0: Yeah, it's a nice fall shot. Applejack Ooh. is a really nice fall shot. I still like mine over ice, but you can do it dead straight and be totally cool.
1: Ooh, that's really nice.
0: <laughs> Uh-oh. Mm. <laughs> Somebody likes the I found a new. Uh, <laughs> I
1: think I found a new thing for the rotation, folks. Yeah, good times. Uh, this week's... Nominees, number one, kind of our weekly screen stick of the week. We got Darren Hall from the uh, Atlanta Falcons just laying an absolute monstrous hit on LaVisca Chenault on a bubble screen. Read it all the way. And I mean, for a guy that jumps like 40 inches, if I recall correctly, and runs high 4.3, four sequels mass times acceleration. And uh, yeesh, he gave a little physics lesson to LaVisca Chenault. Nominee number two. We got Jordan Mailata making his second consecutive appearance as a nominee. This time, buckling another linebacker on a QB counter bash call uh, in last week's Eagles game. Just, I-, I feel like they only call this solely to get Jordan Mailata on a linebacker because it's absolutely hilarious. Like it's it's not even it's not even fair, but boy, is it fun to watch. And then uh, nominee number three, we got a running back appearance. A.J. Dillon lowering the boom on Taylor Rapp, who actually did get lower than A.J. Dillon. But, you know, when you're going up against Quadzilla, that doesn't really matter. And he kind of Earl Campbell'd him. <laughs> That's probably the best way I could describe it. Just mm-hmm. completely wrecked him. And then uh, nominee number four, we got a special teams hit. We got Derek Watt on special teams coverage. Fun fact, he is tied for third in the NFL with eight solo special teams tackles, including this gorgeous one against the Bengals on a a punt coverage unit, just screaming down the middle of the field and timing it perfectly. By the way, shout out to the Steelers punter, whose name is escaping me for the hang time on that thing because it was beautiful. It wasn't all bad for the Steelers uh, on Sunday. They did make a a couple nice plays, and uh, this tackle from Derek Watt is one of them.
0: So we got it all in this week. We we have an offensive lineman, which we've been pretty consistent about including them. We've got a special teams hit, which is near and dear to our heart. We've got, we've got a running back running somebody over, which has been a fun feature all year long in bootleg shot of the week. Uh, and then we have our screen stick. We have to have the screen stick because on that play, if the corner sees it, and this is all film study, right? It's film study and click and close. And if the corner sees it, That play is dead in the water. Every offensive coordinator knows it, and they're just hoping that they hang up for half a second because then they'll be behind the blocking and they won't be able to get there. But if they see it and they trigger at the snap, the guy's just standing there waiting for the pass, and they are a dead duck. And my favorite thing about this (laughs) one was the look on LaVisca's face as he was sitting there on his butt. He just looked so disappointed he looked like a kid that had just lost his toy he was like oh they saw it <laughs> <laughs> he just got <laughs> racked and there's everybody knows like if the corner triggers that plays over if the corner hesitates for just a tick you're probably it's gonna get some yards yeah you're gonna yeah. get some yards but boy if they see it and Trigger, that plays over and everybody just goes, ah, well, we tried. Didn't fool them, right? But at least once a week, we see that play in the NFL and somebody sees it. And, oh, man, Darren Hall saw it, stuck it. Like, is a big, strong guy. He sat him right down. It was it was impressive stuff.
1: If, uh, if you're listening to the audio-only version of the show, you can go on the YouTube version of the show. Just kind of go to the same uh, time marker. We've been playing all the clips from all these different hits, uh, and you can kind of get a good idea of which one you want to vote for. And then we have a poll in the pinned comment, and you can vote for that below. Uh, Let's get to the Week 13 watch list. These are three games that we're looking forward to watching most this week. And I think this is one of the weeks where uh, you kind of look at the schedule and you know immediately which ones you're tuning in for. And that's New England Buffalo the game of games in the AFC East. This is the one that I think is really going to be uh, the biggest tone setter of the week for the AFC playoffs because you have, you know, New England on a six game win streak, making a, a potential push for the first seed in the AFC Buffalo is trying to climb back into this thing. They've dropped a few games that maybe they probably shouldn't, but they did. And so, Again, they're trying to stay alive for a, for a playoff bye at minimum, they're trying to position themselves pretty well for the division and or a wild card. You got Denver, Kansas city. Again, the the fight for the AFC West, whoever wins this game is going to be the leader in the AFC West. Uh, And then you got the chargers and the Bengals in another massive AFC showdown. All three of these games have AFC playoff implications. As we mentioned 12 of the 16 AFC teams are 500 or better. So they're all in the hunt. They're all trying to position themselves to the playoffs. This is kind of the week when it's going to sort itself out a little bit and give us a little bit more clarity about who's going to be where when it comes to seating. So I I can already tell that next week's show is probably going to be pretty long.
0: Maybe this, this one's turning into pretty long, but you know, that's the thing (laughs) about us. We can talk about football. Uh, No, Pat's Bills is back to being a war after one year off. Like the Bills did the right thing, won the games they were supposed to win last year, put down a bad Pat's team, won the division, climbed back to the top after a long absence, and that was really good. Belichick, we've talked about, he's down for one year, went and got his quarterback, righted the ship, and this is right back to being a grudge match. It's going to be a fantastic game. It's going to tell us a lot about where those teams are going to end up in that division broncos chiefs we talked about it at length super tight division big divisional implications and a razor thin margin that division is so close and chargers bengals is really we talked about the bengals surging uh last week we talked about the chargers really being amazing the chargers seem to sort of go week on week off uh maybe this is their on week i sure hope so because man full-on justin herbert versus full-on joe burrow and that and that bengals offense I want to see that like as an NFL fan, I'm pounding the table for that. Like, please let them both be at full strength. Please let, you know, LA call the deep ball for Justin Herbert. Like let the tiger out of the cage. Let's go. Let's see them both go toe to toe late in the season and set up for what has, you know, deep playoff implications. So, Lots of other good games this week as well. Those are just the top three that we're going to be looking at. Um, those have been fairly prophetic over the season. feels like at least two of three watch list games have ended up either being in three up uh, or three down if they went terribly wrong. So, again, uh, games of note as we go
1: forward. But um, what do you got coming up on Film Room? So that's actually the, the one I'm trying to figure out because <laughs> I've been kind of working on a Rams defense video, and it's just... Because of the Rams over the last couple of weeks, it's kind of turned into something that I totally didn't expect. And so I might have to, you know, kind of keep working on that one in the long term and push that mm. one off a little bit. I might end up doing a, a Russell Wilson episode, Ooh. kind of diving into what the hell is going on there. Or, you know, if something crazy happens this Sunday, maybe I'll kind of do a little one-off about that. But, you know, the, the the people over on the Patreon voted for a Rams episode. I'm still working on it, but I am deep, and I mean deep, in a rabbit hole right now. And I'm not even near the end of it, and I don't know when that's coming out.
0: <laughs> this This is me stunned that you ended up in a football rabbit hole. This is my stunned face.
1: It's wild. Like, I'm, I'm focusing solely on the defense. And like, I'm looking at some of the stuff that Rahe- Raheem Morris is doing, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? It's well, not I, good.
0: I don't feel like moving to a Russell Wilson episode is going to get you any less what the hell at this point so just just a word to the wise there
1: (laughs) i did a couple positive episodes on like the dolphins defense and mac jones and i i I thought i was going to do a positive episode on the rams and then they just kept being terrible and and now i don't know what i'm doing
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i'm lost oh well uh bears over beers are back in the saddle we're coming up again this week uh it's bears cardinals this week which is not going to be a tremendous football game uh unless there's some miraculous repeat of the denny green game i doubt that very much so the game's not going to be all that interesting but we do have a really nice guest this week uh somebody that's really tightly tied to the cardinals and is therefore having a great season so uh
1: that's going to be a lot of fun that'll come out friday morning as usual so with that all being said, uh, thank you everybody for, uh, what we do we, well, I think we're definitely at the two hour mark at this point, so thank you to everybody for stuck it out this long. Appreciate you for uh, feeding the algorithm gods, if you're still here. Uh, our success is entirely due to your obsession with whatever we're rambling about for two hours at a time every single week. We'll be back here same time next week, presumably, with uh, probably a pretty hefty week 13 recap for what's going on in the afc and all of the mess that follows i want to thank uh the bootleg hall of fame marat consti once again and caden who's a new member of the hall of fame he joined last week you guys are amazing as our executive producers and we really really appreciate you guys and uh yeah we'll see you guys back here same time next week and until then later take care